and welcome to this Growth Strategist podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by none other than Dave Ulrich. Dave, how are you? Nice to see you, Simon. Thank you. It's a real privilege to be talking to you. And so many accolades, and I'll go through as many as I can. You're the co-founder and principal of RBL Group. You're the um, father of modern HR. You've written 30-odd books. You're the Rensis Lickett, I think that's right, professor at the University of Michigan Ross School. Um, you have, you know, your Fast Company top 10 creative people in business, top five Forbes coach, Thinkers 50, so many accolades. And obviously you're a specialist in HR leadership and organizational design and many other things. So it's a real privilege to talk to you. And I just, in, in the first few minutes, first five minutes, maybe just give the audience an overview of you and your career and how you got to be where you are today. Uh, thanks for the question, and what an honor to uh, be with somebody like you and uh, part of this second great series on uh, growth and uh, growth strategist. Thank you. you know, one of the changes in the world uh, until this year, we'd go to a conference, and so you'd be in Dublin or you'd be in Moscow or you'd be in somewhere, and you'd never talk. Now we're at home. Yep. And so the comment, what's different about that? Well, there's a lot of things that aren't as good. It's, it's fun to be in person and to feel you and to get a sense. But at home, you can do some fun stuff. For example, why, Simon, behind you do you have the map of the world? What's the story behind that map? The story behind that is, I don't know if you can see different colors, but there are different colors denoting where different members of my family, myself, my wife, and my uh -oh. two daughters have gone to. And if we've gone in a group, it's white. And if we've gone separately, it's different colors. And it's just, it's wonderful for me to share that. It's, it's great that you yeah. noticed it. <laughs> you know, what's fun is what we have at home is the chance to, to see people more personally, yeah. if we allow ourselves. If we try to use these, these interviews or these webinars or these Zooms, these formal discussions, we missed it. So you ask about me, um, yeah. let me share. That's my family at Disney World. Um, <laughs> we have three children and now we have 10 grandchildren. Wow. Um, I began in the career, uh, you see in the background some of my intellectual mentors, Martin Luther King and Sheikh Zayed, yeah. Trying to figure out a very simple question. How do you create an organization that succeeds in the marketplace outside in, as you've done in your brilliant work, is you can't just succeed inside. You've got to succeed outside. Exactly. But also creates value inside. And so early in my career, I was going to be an attorney. And I've known some attorneys who've repented and become more growth strategists. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I repented before I got too far down the attorney path. Very wise. And I took a course in what's called organizational behavior. Yeah. And decades ago, that was a new field. So um, I called my mom. And I, by the way, I got enraptured with the course. I should show you. I, uh, the professor said, show me what you've learned about organizations. And just write whatever you learn. So I wrote yeah. 12 10-page papers about organizations and how they affect our personal and organizational and work and yeah. church lives. And he called me and he said, nobody's ever written 12 papers, but the first paper, I think I have it somewhere, Beowulf, the ideal organization man, building off an old, uh, old paper. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, by the way, I cheated and I'm gonna shorten this. I turned him into my English professors and I, because I was an English major for law school and my organizational behavior. My English professor said, you know, you get a good grade, but that's a weird paper. Beowulf, um, the source of power in Paradise Lost. Yeah. And Bonner, my organizational behavior, this is great, keep doing it. Anyway, long story short, I changed my career to organizational behavior. I called yeah. my mom, ooh, personal, personal. 
That's my mom right there. That's my <laughs> that's sister. Great. That's my uh, younger brother. That's, uh, that's actually me younger. Um, <laughs> and I said, mom and dad. Oh, I got to show my dad. And then I'm done with pictures. That's my dad. Uh, and that's my dad looking like me most days. Um, I'm going to change from being a lawyer to studying OB. Yeah. And my mom said, oh, obstetrics. You're going to be a doctor. <laughs> and I said, no, mom, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm going to study organizational behavior. And she yeah. said 40 years ago, what's that? And I said, I don't know, but I love it. I just have a passion yeah. for thinking about organizations, how they work, how they operate. Final story. My wife uh, is a very good psychologist. I should show a picture of her. Actually, it's kind of scary. I don't have as many yeah. pictures of her here. Uh, <laughs> she said, Dave, you have OCD. And I said, oh, my goodness, what is that? Obsessive compulsive. And she said, yeah. no, 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 no. You have organizational compulsive disorder. Disorder, yeah. You love to study and change any organization. You're a horrible yeah. dinner date because you'll call the manager of the organization over, the manager of the restaurant, and say, you know, I could improve your productivity 10% yeah. if you yeah. did these six things I'd recommend. She said, don't do that anymore. Don't tell your minister how to run his service better. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. So, Simon, long story short, I got stuck with the organizational bug. And I've studied organizations for decades. That's what wow. I love to do. Well, it reminds me, thanks for that. It reminds me, I did an MBA. I, came, I did an MBA late. I was just turned 40 about uh, 13 years ago. And I started a mo module in organizational behavior. And I'm wondering now if I read one of your books. I think I, think I did, actually. <laughs> I think I did. By the way, most of my books are that memorable. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love the subject. And... Um, I, I really understand that passion because, as you said, you know, I came later to moving out of the legal profession. But for me, my passion is everything to do with growth, you know, and and, nice. and not the obvious things. I mean, people think of, you know, external revenue growth, the quantitative stuff. And, and that's important for organizations. But also you have the brand growth as well, which is both quantitative and qualitative. And then you have the leadership growth. And then you have none of that really exists without the people. And so the mindset growth and then, you know, you have external growth and internal growth and the internal growth is infinite so for me it's all inextricably linked and people are saying why are you doing all this why are you being so ambitious why don't you choose one but for me they're all interrelated and i'm sure you i'm sure you get that and you know with organizations are living module you know they're living beings and that that must be what motivates you an organization today is never the same as an organization tomorrow you know it's that is so true that that you can't step in the same river twice. The, the, no. not, a, not a unique thought. But organizations change, evolve, and grow constantly. Absolutely. Constantly. In fact, yeah. I'm in the process of, it's funny you asked that, I'm doing a foreword on a book on careers. And one of the messages is there is no such thing as a career. Career is a verb. It's not a noun. Yeah. And, I mean, it sounds like you've evolved your career. I've evolved my career. Yeah. And I think organizations evolve. And yeah. And that requires a broad perspective. Um, yep. Quick example, there was a, the U.S. Business Roundtable of 180 or so senior executives did a post that was really powerful in our field. Yep. Uh, profits and purpose. Profits and people. Yep. And I wrote a comment. I said, they got a word wrong. It's not profits and purpose, profits and people. It's profit through purpose. Yeah. Profit through people. That these yeah. are not disconnected. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday do profits. Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday do people. Yeah. No, yeah. you got to connect those. And when you talked about your growth strategy, growth becomes a connective tissue. 
between an ecosystem of ideas. You got strategy, you got brand, you got organization, you got people. Uh-huh. All the connections between that ecosystem of stakeholders yeah. could be around how do we grow each of those? What a, yeah. what a great idea. No, I agree. And it, it's, it's such an irresistible moving thing. And I, I came up when you know, I was a ex- senior executive for one of the big mining companies in Australia for a while. And I, I had to present to the board, right? And I thought, how do I get their attention? You know, they're, they're not going to read 50 pages. So I literally came up with a triangle and I, and I described it as the, the, the triple R triangle. Every business is governed really. And this, I didn't make this up, although I came up with the three R's, but every business is governed by three things, revenue, risk, and reputation. And you can call them different things. Uh, and you probably are filling in the gaps now and you're probably saying, no, there's fourth or fifth. But when you think about it, it's revenue, risk, and reputation. And, and that triangle is constantly moving. You know, it's constantly morphing and moving. So it's a fascinating area. And particularly today, you know, with this circuit breaker in the world, h- how do you see, I mean, there are so many uncertainties ahead, but where there is oppor- uncertainty, there's always opportunity. There's always accelerating technologies and accelerating thinking. I mean, how do you see this period changing how organizations are managed, how, they're, how leaders think, how coaches think? Is it going to affect HR at the very highest level? What, what do you see happening? As you know, well? I, uh, I think the, uh, the mindset, and you use the word mindset, we've written a lot about that, the mental model, the assumptions yeah. really shape how we approach a crisis or a problem. Yeah. On the one hand, you can see this, and by the way, it's not just the global pandemic. It's also in the United States, especially racial strife and civic unrest. That yeah. kind of like a series of tsunamis, and yeah. now it's an economic downturn. Yeah, and who knows what it's going to be in three months? I just think we're facing sequential crises that are just yeah. uh, telling, yeah. and the mindset becomes so critical. Do I see those as a threat, or do I see those as an opportunity? Yeah, and that mental approach becomes so critical. Uh, I love your work because I think your work basically says, yes, those can be seen as threats and we get discouraged, we get despondent, we get molested, we get scared, we get frightened, we get apprehensive. Or can you see those as an opportunity? Yeah. I think that discovering opportunity in a crisis, I I didn't say it, a bunch of people have it. A crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Um, Yeah. I change it. In fact, I'm going to post a piece tomorrow. Crises, plural, are great opportunities for leadership. Because yeah, I, I think out of crises come great leadership. I, I agree. And, you know, I've, I've interviewed people like Sally Helgeson and, and, and John Matone and, 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 and people like that and Chester Elton. And they all say the same thing. And one, one, really in, one area that really fascinates me, and I hadn't mentioned this before, is the area of gender balance. So I've written an article called Gender Balance for Better Business. And, and I'm about to do another piece of work in that space. And, and I, I you know, I'm one of those strange creatures who's not an academic, but I love researching. So I spent a long time researching um, to what extent is gender balance thought about or discussed within organizations. And I didn't see a huge amount. I mean, Sheryl Sandberg's done work at Facebook. There's lots of work in the military space that shows when the feminine comes to play in military deals, they tend to be more sustainable. And so the reason I'm mentioning this is that what, what you're seeing around the world right now is, I think, a shift to more empathetic relationship-based leadership. And is it a coincidence that those countries that are run, that are led by women, seems to be seem to be doing a slightly softer, more successful job at managing this crisis? And then you have countries like the States and the UK and Russia and Brazil who are run by very um, egocentric males who are experiencing a different dynamic. I'll put it that way. I won't get into politics. And 
Is that a coincidence or is there something in the need for the feminine to be more at the forefront at these times? No, I, I'm not an expert on gender balance. I'm studying that issue. It's a, I think the issue, uh, let there be no isms among us. And, yeah. and sexism is one of them. Racism is one of them. Elitism yeah. is one of them. I'm finding ageism is one of them. As I get older, people say, you're old, you must not be thinking anymore. Yeah. Um, and uh, I hope that the isms are replaced by value and the creation of value. Where yeah. I see some trends out of this, yeah. and I, I get really frustrated when people say, here's the new normal. There isn't a definition of a new normal. Agreed. I just think that's hyperbole. Let me just hit a couple. I could do a lot. The one you say about gender balance, I'm going to call broader uh, personalization and customization. Not new, but instead of organizing people by category, we organize people by them. Yeah. What is it you want? How do I personalize work? That may be working at home. It may be working elsewhere. And so this mass personalization of work and where we work and how we work, the second one is, I think we're changing the definition of work boundaries. Every organization needs a boundary. Every country needs some form of a boundary. Yeah. Traditionally, the boundary of work was a place. I get up in the morning, I go to work, I'm at work, and I go home. Yeah. No longer true. Yeah. I mean, you're where you are. I'm where I am in my office. You're in your office. Yeah. But there is a boundary. It's not amorphous. The boundary is a set of values that yes. create value for a customer. Yep. Let me say that again. The boundary of work is a set of values that create value for a customer. Mm -hmm. If today in my work, wherever I am, I could be at a, a, a I could be on the side of the road in my car, I, and I've done that. <laughs> I could be in a coffee shop. I could be at a work setting. I could be at home. Yeah. If my work didn't create value for a stakeholder or customer I care about, I was not working today. Yeah. That's a tough boundary. So I personalization, agree. boundaries, I'll just hit one more. I could keep going with this. I think we've got to learn to harness uncertainty. We say tolerate uncertainty. No way. No way. We don't, we don't create false positive. And that's some of, the, some of the leaders you talk about. This crisis will be over on Easter. Exactly. No, it's not. This, that's false. The other is you don't want to just tolerate it and give up. I love the metaphor of harnessing. You yeah. harness the sun. You harness horses. You harness in a parachute. How do leaders personalize so it's not just classification by gender by race yep. how do leaders re redefine boundaries of work around values and how do leaders harness uncertainty those would be three opportunities i see coming yep. out of this crisis i think that's so powerful and you know and you you mentioned leaders shouldn't mislead you know they shouldn't they shouldn't there's a phrase don't perfume the pig you know if it, something's bad don't say it's good when you know or suspect it's good because and I talk about this a lot in the work I do. And Michael Dell was great at this. He, he, I think that was one of his phrases. And if you are, as a leader, know or suspect that there is negative news or you actually don't know what's happening, don't pretend you know what's happening because people are not stupid. People fill in the gaps. As stakeholders and staff then start getting anxious and, and, and you've backfired. And it amazes me that leaders still take that naive approach. Um, that, so that was one thing. And the, the other thing you mentioned about embracing uncertainty, I mean, it makes me chuckle that, you know, I, I hear that Jeff Bezos, who's just become, about to become the first trillionaire, right, in history through business, I, I hear he's already planning a future after Amazon. And some people might think that's crazy, but he understands that nothing ever lasts forever, you know. So one day Amazon 
will almost certainly not be there. So, so he's embracing other things, and I, I think he's right to do that. So, so just bringing this a little bit to a close, you know, your HR model, um, I mean, a HR is an area that, you know, encapsulates so much within organizations. Do you see that? Do you see HR models changing? Or do you see, you know, how I, do you see organizations I get, being run? I, get, uh, I love it when people say, you have an HR model. I basically have stolen that model from everyone. And my model of HR is very different. Here's my headline. HR is not about HR. It's about creating organizations that succeed in the marketplace. Yeah. And unless and until you succeed in the marketplace and have that growth in the marketplace, there is no workplace. And so what I see HR doing is delivering three things to succeed and grow your terms in the marketplace. Great yeah. talent, great employee experience, great ingredients, the talent or the people, my hand with fingers, great organizations. Yeah. So talent should create an organization and great leadership that combines the three. So yeah. in my view, going forward, business leaders, HR leaders, the boundaries are, are gone. How do we create organizations that grow in the marketplace through great people, great organizations, and great leadership? And what we found, and again, you were so gracious to let me talk because I could just babble on this stuff. I still have OCD. Um, we found that the organization, the culture, the system, the mindset in the people has four times the impact than talent on long-term growth success. Wow. Let me say that again. Yeah. In HR, there's been a war for talent we've discovered there's victory through organization. Yeah. And so when I work with business leaders or HR people, uh, professionals whom I adore, I am an advocate of good HR. Yeah. I want to say, what do you have to do to succeed and grow in the marketplace? Through your talent, through your organization, and through your leadership. Yeah. That's it. By the way, that's the model in a hundred words. <laughs> and, and you're right. Your, your energy just comes across. It's amazing. And, and I have to say, you know, I, I find myself stumbling, sometimes stumbling over my words when I talk because I'm passionate about, I don't think people realize that the geometrical opportunities when you think of growth through not just the organization, but the people, the leadership processes, and also the mindsets, it's geometrical. Um, so, so just, just to bring this to a close, if, if you were going to whisper two or three words of wisdom to an aspiring HR leader coming out of this crisis to, to really set them up for as much success as possible in their career, what two or three things would you say? You know, it's a great question. A few years ago, I had an unusual privilege of being a commencement speaker at a, at a couple of universities. And I don't have a life story. I'm not... Stephen Jobs, who created, by the way, if Stephen Jobs was the commencement speaker and came back from death, I would go. But I, I don't have a right. I had normal parents. I showed you my pictures. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to give you four questions that are the foundation of my coaching, and I'll do them quickly. Yeah. What do you want? If you don't know what you want, somebody will define it for you. That's your passions, your strengths, the, yeah. the things, obviously, that excite you, that excite me. Mine is to learn and to yeah. create value. Number two, who do you serve? If what you want isn't making somebody else better, you're going to have an empty life. Who do you serve? Yeah. Leadership is not authenticity. Leadership is the creation of value that they discover authenticity. The wow. brand is not your brand. It's that you help others create their brand. Number three, how do you build? What do you want? Who do you serve? How do you build? Do you put that into an institution? Do you build an institution that outlives you? Yeah. And number four, where are you on your journey? Where are you? It's uh, 
there, and I'm sorry to do this, but I'll do it real quickly. There's a great line in the Bible that has impact for anybody of any religion or not religion. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They make a mistake. They partake of the fruit. We've heard the story. Yeah. God comes to visit. And he says, Adam, Eve, where are you? For 40 years, I thought they were hiding behind a bush. Well, guess what? God can see behind a bush. I mean, so, and I don't think God in that myth, in that myth yeah, yeah. or that, that lineage asked stupid questions. Where are you in your journey? You made a mistake. Where are you? And that's for me the fourth question. What yes. do you want? Yes. Who do you serve? How do you build? Where, at, where are you on your journey? I think that question is just profound because it allows you to learn and to recover and to get better. That's so powerful. So thanks so much for your time. With, with that, how, how do people find out more about you and read more about you? I'm, uh, I decided a couple of years ago uh, after 30 books and nobody reads, I go on LinkedIn. And uh, so tr follow me, try not to connect with me. I've reached that connection. LinkedIn is good yeah. or uh, through the University of Michigan. I, uh, I am privileged to be on the faculty there. Yeah, that's perfect. It's been a real privilege talking to you. I could talk for the next three hours. Your energy is amazing, but uh, I, I'd love to keep in touch. And, and thanks again so much. Thank you. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you. Thank you.